The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks, your climate change focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, and this is our final episode of season one. Also, our last episode of 2020, if you can believe it. But don't fret, we will be back in January 2021 with the first episode of season two airing on January 12th. Our producer, Price Atkinson, in particular, deserves a break, my dear friends. I truly have the easy part of the job, finding and securing the guests, getting to talk to them, but Price then has to make it sound good so that you'll keep listening, and I hope that you do. During the off period, take the opportunity to catch up on some past episodes. I think we really brought on someone for everyone, at least we tried to. We featured our super volunteers, former lawmakers like Carlos Curbelo, current lawmakers like John Curtis from Utah and Senator Sheldon Whitehouse. We featured a climate scientist, a faith-based author, try to say that three times, a national security and climate change expert, two journalists, and so much more. Listeners, in lieu of whose line is it anyway... I am asking my colleagues to share holiday-related content. So for today's episode, I asked them to share something that they're doing to spark joy or infuse joy this holiday season. I don't know how you're feeling, but I've been feeling rather grim, to be frank, and it's been hard to get in the holiday spirit. But I do think there's something to mind over matter, so I've been trying extra hard to make this month feel festive. Some ways I have leveled up my holiday game. I put fairy lights on a baby tree planted this spring in my front yard. I bought a tiny Christmas tree um, to put on my front steps in addition to the tree we have in the house. And despite telling my boys that we are going to keep our cookie baking minimal this year, I've decided to go all out and now have a cookie list that honestly I need to pare down. I also tried making homemade Bailey's Irish cream, and I just have to report that it's so delicious. My closest friends who live nearby will definitely be getting a bottle from me. And now, how my teammates are sparking or infusing joy this holiday season. Wen says, Because of the pandemic and people not traveling, I won't get to see some family members who live far away. So uh, I'm planning to let them know that I'm still thinking of them by mailing them something in the mail. <laughs> um, I'm going to write a handwritten letter, and um, for my nieces, uh, I'm going to draw a picture and uh, send it to them. And that way, uh, they'll still know that they're in my thoughts during this holiday season. From Bob. What do I do to spark joy or infuse joy into the holiday season? Well, I put some lights on the camellia bush at our front porch. So from the street passing by at night, it looks like a Christmas tree, but it's really a camellia bush with uh, white lights on it. And price. What I'm doing is spiking the eggnog because that's what we've had to do the last couple weeks with a two-week quarantine at home with our kids unable to go back to school due to COVID exposure. And the spike in the eggnog has helped us all cope. At least it's helped me cope. But I'm half kidding. Uh, this year, to infuse joy in the holiday season, we've actually gone around and, and rode around uh, a couple neighborhoods near us and checked out some of the holiday lights. It's something we haven't done since my kids were a lot younger. And so we've tried to get out and uh, you know get some fresh air and see what everybody else is doing to spread some joy. If you have something fun that you're doing this season, drop us a note, feel free to share, and who knows, we might take some inspiration from you. And now, capping off our 26-episode season is my conversation with Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, FERC, for those who are inside the Beltway, Commissioner Neil Chatterjee. 
Commissioner Chatterjee served as the chairman of FERC from August 2017 to December 2017 and was again named chairman on October 24, 2018, a role that he served until November 5th of this year. Since joining the commission, Chatterjee has championed several strategic initiatives reflecting his firm commitment to ensuring that FERC regulations and actions reflect changes in today's energy landscape. And as you will hear in our conversation, he believes FERC, which he calls the most important agency you've never heard of, should play a big part in the climate change conversation. Prior to his tenure at the commission, he served as an advisor to Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, where he played a role in the passage of major energy, highway, and agriculture legislation. Chatterjee previously worked as a principal in government relations for the National Rural Electric Cooperative Association as an and as an aide to House Republican Conference Chairwoman Deborah Price. He began his career in Washington, D.C. as a staff member on the House Committee on Ways and Means. Without further ado, my conversation with Neil Chatterjee. Welcome back, listeners. As promised, I'm here bringing you a conversation with the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, known as FERC in DC circles, Commissioner Neil Chatterjee, and also in conversation, our own Bob Inglis. Welcome, gentlemen. So I'm going to guess, Commissioner Chatterjee, that we have some listeners who may not know what the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, what FERC does. And I thought it would be great if you could just take a few moments to explain to those who might not have heard of FERC or who might have heard of it but didn't exactly know what its role is, if you could just sort of explain what the agency does. And and, and how important it is to their lives, actually. So, sure. yeah. yeah. Well, FERC has been described uh, by some as the most significant agency you've never heard of. Um, it has historically been uh, a very wonky, weedy, kind of obscure agency. The work of the agency, in my view, has always been significant, but of late, because of the important role it can play in the energy transition, I think the spotlight on the commission has really brightened the past few years. Uh, top line, what does the commission do? What are its authorities? Um, our foremost responsibility is overseeing the reliability of the grid to make sure that when Americans go and hit the switch, the lights come on. And so in that way, the agency really does touch every American in some regard. We oversee the country's competitive wholesale electricity markets. We evaluate applications for energy infrastructure projects like natural gas pipelines and liquefied natural gas export facilities. We review hydro licenses uh, and focus on hydro safety. Uh, and we also have an important oversight role uh, looking at markets and the, the sanctity of markets. In order for markets to function, you have to be able to trust that they're not being manipulated. And so we have an enforcement role there as well. Uh, so pretty weedy stuff. But when you take a step back and look at the commission's authority, uh, it's a very significant and impactful agency. So going to what you just said about overseeing grid reliability, how hard is that when you have 50 states or you have different regions that probably have either um, their infrastructure, their grid is is at a different stage of its lifespan. So some might be more sophisticated than others. You have probably weather impacts. I think of hurricanes in you know the Gulf or mid-Atlantic, like how much, how hard is that when you have, you know, probably so many different structures that you're looking at? How do you, how do you approach that? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think it's not hyperbolic to say that uh, the U.S. electric grid um, is probably uh, in its totality, the most sophisticated uh, piece of machinery ever invented by man. And a lot of work goes into uh, ensuring reliability 
And I think stakeholders throughout the country really do a great job at it. And I've been particularly impressed with how uh, everyone has stepped up throughout the course of this pandemic the past nine months. People have commented to me that with all the stresses in their lives being posed by the pandemic, they can't imagine if the power went out for a long stretch of time on top of it. And they've gained an appreciation for electric reliability, which they might have previously taken for granted. And a lot of work has gone into that. Uh, obviously, the commission and its dedicated staff is focused on, on working with stakeholders on reliability. But we have had frequent and constant communication with our federal and state partners State commissioners play a critical role here, and that communication and coordination with federal energy leaders uh, has been critical. The industry does a great job uh, in responding to consumers and, and reacting to outages and, and, and responding quickly, um, and, and they stay in constant communication with state and federal regulators to ensure that they are complying uh, with their obligations to, to work to, to keep the lights on. And then the newest layer of threat, you mentioned some of the weather-related challenges, technology-related challenges. We in the U.S. have really benefited from innovation and uh, the deployment of exciting new technologies that have enabled the energy transition. But that innovation comes with a downside, and that's increased vulnerability to cyber threats. Uh, and so what has really come keenly into focus for my colleagues and myself is the importance of remaining vigilant to stay ahead of these nefarious actors uh, who could do real economic and national security damage uh, if they were to succeed in a successful cyber attack on the grid. You know, that's interesting because I was sort of thinking the way that 2020 has been going <laughs> thus far, um, probably the three of us could agree we're excited to see it go in a few uh, weeks here that on election day, I was sort of geared up like, well, if someone was going to um, execute a cyber attack on our grid, today would be the day to do it and just throw our elections in even more chaos. So I'm very grateful that didn't happen and for the work that that you all do. And, and I think that that is important to just highlight that we take it for granted in this country that we're going to flip that switch and the lights are going to come on and we can power our phones and our computers and all the things that we rely on. And I do recall at the beginning of the pandemic, a, a dear friend of mine is was on her, she works for a major utility that I won't name, and was on their COVID emergency management team. And I was like, wait, you have an emergency management team around COVID? Is, is there a possibility that the lights might not come on? And she was like, no, don't worry. We're good. We're coming up with strategies to have you know people working so that they're safe and they're not passing COVID to each other, but there will always be somebody working. And I thought, okay, well, that is good to know because it is something that we really do take for granted here. Well, it's been pretty remarkable. And, and honestly, uh, I've, uh, I've gotten emotional thinking about the sacrifices that energy workers have made throughout this pandemic. I think our attention right now is correctly focused on first-line healthcare workers and, and first responders and law enforcement and the roles that they have played in, in, in keeping society afloat through this. But I hope when this is all over and we get up off the mat, we recognize the contributions of energy workers uh, throughout this process. You have, in some instances, folks who work in utility control rooms. Everyone else went home to work. They moved home to work. Uh, people were literally living on site, rotating in shifts to ensure that they could safely continue to uh, maintain and operate uh, their, their operations. And uh, then you think about utility line workers um, who are having to deal with hurricane responses, who set up camps and go up in bucket trucks where social distancing can be a real challenge. So they've uh, taken the adequate precautions, but also some element of personal risk 
to, uh, to, to keep the lights on. And then finally, uh, I do want to circle back um, to the point you raised uh, about election day. Um, and I was so glad you brought that up because uh, I was proud of our efforts on election day and it didn't happen by accident. We planned for it. Uh, there is a, a group uh, uh, called ESCC, the Electric Subsector Coordinating Council, that has uh, uh, been run by DOE and DHS. And so Secretary Briette at the Department of Energy, um, uh, Assistant Secretary Chris Krebs, uh, who had been at the Department of Homeland Security, as well as FERC, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, the FBI, the Coast Guard, state leaders, industry leaders, we have all been in constant communication throughout this pandemic, and we had an election day response plan in place should there have been any kind of cyber-related attack. And so I just wanted to uh, – uh, people haven't really been talking about that. We pulled off election day successfully uh, on the electric side because we prepared for it and planned for it, and, uh, and it's something I'm proud of. Wow, I wish I had talked to you before Election Day. I could have checked that off my worry list. <laughs> <laughs> um, Neil, you mentioned and you were talking about the role that FERC, um, the sort of um, statutory role that the, the agency plays, and you talked about the sanctity of markets and making sure that markets are not manipulated. And as you may know, here at RepublicEN.org, we are big fans of the free market. So I just wanted to quote you to you because I thought this was a really um, – this kind of gets at the heart of what we do. Um, you said, and this was maybe a month or so ago, that you truly feel there's a great opportunity for free market conservatives to embrace the clean energy business case. And, you know, that is something that we love to see. Um, it's an important way to get conservatives to embrace this idea that we're going to reduce um, carbon emissions, whether or not somebody wants to be as bold, you know, we don't think it's bold. We think it's just normal to say, yes, climate change is real and a problem we have to solve. But, you know, we know that there are people that are still eco-hesitant, but there is a real way to bring folks into this fold that we um, need to lower greenhouse gas emissions by kind of making that clean energy business case. So what kind of role would FERC have in ensuring that the markets remain open and free and unmanipulated and then how does that play into this role that clean energy has in our future? FERC has a very significant role in this, and it's one of the things that drew my interest in the commission uh, and why uh, I put myself forward um, uh, to be nominated. I understood the significance of the commission and what role it would play. I made very clear at the onset of my tenure, once I had a platform of my own, that despite the fact that I was a Republican from Kentucky, that I believed climate change was real, that man had a significant impact, and that we needed to urgently take steps to tackle emissions, but that I did not believe in heavy-handed regulations or subsidies or mandates, and I wanted to focus on, mar on market-driven solutions to carbon mitigation. Um, and I think the role that FERC can play in that regard and has played uh, under my tenure has been to, to be a catalyst of the energy transition. What do I mean by that? For markets to truly flourish, you need to remove barriers to entry to allow innovation and newer technologies to compete and be compensated for their attributes. And you need appropriate transparent, clear price signals so that market participants can have confidence. Can I just so interrupt a lot for of one work... second to ask you, like, what would be an example of a barrier to entry for some of our listeners who might not connect those dots? So um, one of the landmark actions that the commission took this fall that I'm particularly proud of is a FERC order called 2222. And what it did was remove barriers to entry for aggregated distributed energy resources. Here, I'm talking about rooftop solar, electric vehicles, advanced appliances like water heaters. On their own, these technologies, which hide in plain sight, may not seem that significant. 
But when through the power of technology, third party aggregators can combine their impact, suddenly you can compete against the power plant down the street. So you have one electric vehicle, they can't, that, that operator can't uh, impact the market. But if you could have a significant number of EVs aggregate their power together, that benefits consumers, that benefits the economy, it benefits the environment. The way that our market rules were set up, they didn't anticipate this type of technology uh, participating in the market. And so that sort of served as an artificial barrier to these really capable technologies to be compensated for all of their attributes. And so what the FERC Order 2222 did was put in place uh, uh, mechanisms to enable these resources to be compensated for their contributions to capacity, to energy, to ancillary services. So to me, that's a, a conservative market-based approach to the energy transition. We didn't yeah, and- subsidize, subsidize these resources. We didn't mandate these resources. We sim- simply removed obstacles to enable them to compete and be compensated. We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now back to this week's episode. Neil, you mentioned a guy from Kentucky who says climate change is real. Put yourself forward needing Senator McConnell, right? So tell us about that. How'd that all work out? That uh, how, What was your path to FERC? I mean, what's... Uh, uh, did Senator McConnell know your views? <laughs> is what I want to know. <laughs> uh, and so, um, so my path to FERC, um, the way that FERC as an independent bipartisan board is structured, um, the Senate leader of the party that does not control the White House identifies that party's candidates for bipartisan boards and commissions. So for the eight years that President Obama was in office, Senator McConnell uh, identified the Republicans who would sit on boards like FERC, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, the CFTC, the SEC, the FCC. And so as his energy policy advisor, it was my role to identify Republican nominees for FERC. Uh, And in doing so, because Senator McConnell was the one Uh, who was putting these nominees forward, I made sure to closely track what FERC was doing. I respected FERC's independence and never tried to intervene uh, on what the nominees we put forward did, but I wanted to understand the commission. And in studying it, I I recognized immediately its uh, power and importance. When I convinced Senator McConnell to support my candidacy, uh, I explained to him how significant and important FERC would be. Now, the work I did for nearly a decade for Senator McConnell, I think some people have uh, had the same questions that you did. How could I square the work I did with Senator McConnell with the approach I took at FERC? In working for Senator McConnell, we pushed back against the EPA Clean Power Plan, which Ultimately, the courts came in and stayed because there were real serious questions about that approach. And I am not in favor of this command and control approach to uh, regulating emissions. I prefer this market-based strategy. And um, Senator McConnell has been wonderful. He has never tried to influence or uh, push me to adopts a, a particular approach at the commission. He respected my independence and my charting my own court course. So I have not actually discussed these issues with him, but I actually think if I, if I had the time to walk him through the approach I took at the commission and, and demonstrate why it was uh, a conservative approach to carbon mitigation, um, I'd be interested to see his, uh, his response. And it might not be as vitriolic as some would assume. Yes, I've had uh, conversations- I, I think you're right. I, I think precisely. I think that if if you could present 
that free enterprise case to Senator McConnell, I think that I think he'd, he'd go with it. Um, and well, by the way, we agree with you at RepublicEN.org. We were not psyched about the uh, the clean power plan. It is a regulatory approach. Um, there's a price signal opportunity. The challenge, I guess, for Senator McConnell is the same challenge that I had representing a textile district until BMW came along and replaced the textile industry in South Carolina's fourth district. You know, there was a dependency on textiles. Um, and so maybe Senator McConnell is concerned about Kentucky and its dependence on coal. But if it sees a different future, particularly in the dynamism of free enterprise, it's just a question about whether you feel like that dynamism is going to come to your neighborhood. You know, that's the question, right? Well, one of the things, and it goes well beyond uh, Senator McConnell, um, there are a number of conservatives who have reached out to me um, uh, during the, the course of the past few years, and particularly the last couple of months or the last month uh, after I was demoted um, by the administration, likely for taking some of these actions. And so some of these conservatives initially who just saw the headlines or the tweets uh, assumed that the approach I was taking was not something that they could be supportive of. But once I explained it to them, I, I really addressed a lot of their concerns and reservations. Um, the challenge is FERC is very complicated. FERC's work with these regional transmission organizations and independent system operators is very wonky and weedy, as I said at the onset. And as you know, from someone who spent a, 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 a great deal of time working in politics, when you're explaining, you're losing in the political realm. <laughs> right. But that's not necessarily the case in the regulatory world. In the regulatory world, regulators are, are used to focusing on really complex challenges. Um, and so I think that's where the uh, I myself and uh, the reason I'm on uh, a forum such as this is to start this conversation and explain to conservatives that this is actually a smart way to go about it. Do I think I'll be successful in convincing everyone overnight? Of course not. But I also think that as some of these policies come into place, then some of the uncertainty will be removed. People can see that this approach has the potential of being successful and you'll get more buy-in. I've actually seen it firsthand on another action that FERC took a couple of years ago. There was a FERC order 841, which like 2222, removed barriers to entry for battery storage technology. At the time, there wasn't a ton of conservative interest or buy-in uh, for, for battery technology. Fast forward a couple of years, and now you've got Republicans in the House and Senate and state capitals uh, around the country supporting battery and, and, and introducing legislation to promote batteries. Uh, I think uh, Leader McCarthy and the Republicans in the House have uh, really zeroed in uh, on promoting batteries as a conservative approach to carbon mitigation. And that's a new development and an exciting one. And I, for one, am optimistic that once we start seeing the benefits of FERC Order 2222, that uh, you'll see similar a similar embrace. And then in the markets, I think if conservatives took a step back and we're confronted with a choice of continuing to subsidize certain resources or removing those subsidies and focusing instead on a transparent market price, that given that choice, the transparent fuel neutral approach is vastly superior to subsidies. And what I'm trying to explain to folks is regardless of the election outcomes, these policies were going to continue. Had President Trump been reelected, I have no doubt that states would have doubled and tripled down on their approach to subsidies and mandates, and that would have further distorted the markets. Similarly, even with President-elect Biden coming into office with divided government 
in the absence of a national carbon policy that I think is unlikely to get through divided government, states are going to continue to act. And so the commission is going to have to continually tackle these issues. And I think for me, it is a no brainer to push for market solutions over market distorting things like subsidies. Yeah, you know, Chelsea and I are ringing the bell. We're saying, oh, this is so terrific. <laughs> that, that's exactly, of course, if, if, if more conservatives could have that conversation with you, Neil, and understand it in the language of conservatism, which is what you've just been using. In other words, market, market forces, dynamism of the market, um, as opposed to heavy-handed subsidies or regulation, or I should say fickle subsidies and heavy-handed regulation. If they could hear that, and, and like you say, it, it would take 10 minutes, but once you get that 10 minutes then people can understand it. Our challenge, of course, at RepublicEgan.org and the entire climate movement on the eco-right is you usually don't get 10 minutes. So we get, but, but, but with you, we're getting 10 minutes, which is tremendous. So uh, I'm very excited. We're ringing the bell here. Well, I'm actually optimistic also that um, the constituents will respond. Initially, at their onset, there is no doubt that the growth and deployment of renewables was driven almost exclusively by subsidies and regulations. But I think the business case for clean energy has gotten so strong because the costs continue to decline, efficiencies continue to gain, innovation continues to, uh, to drive uh, the markets and technology. Now you've got investors seeing opportunities in the clean energy space, Wall Street is heavily invested in the clean energy transition. You've got consumers demanding this. And I'm talking here, everyone from individual families to small businesses to Fortune 500 companies, they are all demanding access to cleaner, affordable power. And there's no question this is where the momentum lies. Uh, and so I, I am optimistic that as uh, conservative constituents uh, around the country uh, begin to embrace the business case for clean energy and see its benefits, uh, that these arguments, which today uh, seem complicated and controversial, uh, will uh, not be seen in a similar light uh, a few years from now. We'll see. Divided government is hard, but there's always some balance in that. And I think you've shown that at FERC, which um, I don't know if our listeners are aware, but there are always two of one party and three of another. And, and you have staggered terms, right? So um, not all five seats are coming up at once. It's not like um, President-elect Biden on January 20th is going to appoint five new FERC nominees. Some of you will, your term goes until June and and there are always, is it that the three happens if you have an opportunity to appoint a new one and you're in office. And so your party gets to kind of flip the. The party that controls the White House can appoint up to three members. Um, in this instance, because my staggered term runs into 2021, um, you know, I can stay at the commission and folks are appointing that it would give Republicans a three two majority. My message to folks who are concerned about that is I think I've demonstrated my integrity and my independence and my willingness to work on conservative market solutions to address what I think is the foremost challenge of our day uh, in combating climate change, that they should not be concerned. Um, and that if I can work on a constructive basis with the new leadership at the commission, we can move things forward. And here's why I see great opportunity at FERC. When energy policy is boring and the engineers and the economists get to sort it out, you can get positive things done without being subject to the politicization of the day. And uh, one of the unfortunate things that has happened is I do think energy politics, uh, energy policy has, has become politicized over the last, you know, 
10 years or so. And I really do think it was around the clean power plan that, that drove a lot of that. Senator McCain was the Republican nominee for president of the United States in 2008. He was a primary author of a cap and trade bill in 2007 and was the Republican nominee for president in 2008. There was a time when these issues were not as polarizing. I think the clean power plan started it. Um, and my hope now in divided government, if a wonky, boring agency like FERC can do its work in the weeds, we can make progress without having it thwarted by the broader political spotlight. I'm not sure that's possible anymore because the spotlight on the agency now shines so bright, but we have a better chance there than I think, uh, you know, a, a, a big regulatory push at EPA. FERC can really be an effective tool uh, the next couple of years. Well, you'll definitely have us uh, cheerleading, not just from the sidelines. <laughs> We're all on this um, race together doing our, our own parts, and we just appreciate so much the work that most people, as you said, what was you, what at the beginning, you said this is the most significant agency that people have never heard of. And of course, we have heard of it. And um, but I learned some things today. I hope our listeners learned as well. And we thank you so much for your time and 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 your independence and everything that you are doing with the agency and and wish you luck as this administration um, transitions. And uh, we look forward to more opportunities to talk to you. Perhaps we can have you come back for an update. Um, as things get going in 2021. Yes, and Neil, thank you for proving the case that uh, there is a way forward that isn't politicized. There's a way forward that uh, is based in free enterprise and actually a good number of progressives would agree with us on that. And so uh, there really could be an opportunity to bring America together. And uh, it's voices like yours that will really make a difference uh, on the political right as we, uh, as people with your expertise explain to folks why it's important to rely on the dynamism of the free enterprise system rather than that regulatory approach. And like I say, thank goodness there's some progressives who actually agree with that. Well, I appreciate the, uh, the kind words and the opportunity to be on here today. But the reality is, um, you know, I wouldn't be in a position to advocate for policies like this if it wasn't for the courage and leadership shown by folks like you all. Uh, Congressman, you were, you were an early adopter of this approach and the tremendous work that you have done the past decade to move the needle on this really enabled folks like me to be in a position uh, to promote this kind of conservative approach to carbon mitigation. So I wanna take this opportunity to thank you for, uh, for your leadership and uh, look forward to continuing to work with you uh, to advance these principles. Price, happy last episode of season one. 26 is not the round number you hope for to end the season on, but it really doesn't matter because in the podcast world, you just go with the flow and that's what we've done. It is hard to believe that we started this thing in the summer not, uh, what, a couple months into the COVID pandemic, and here we are at the end of 2020 as we're all ready to get 2021 started. The vaccine is out, but before we look too far ahead, it's just been awesome the past few months watching you grow. I heard you you know, trying to shower accolades on me. You're the one that gets all the credit because you're the one that get you get the guest, you prepare the questions, you ask the tough, fun uh, questions, whatever, whichever road you like to go down. I think they've been outstanding, and you secure all the stuff. I just get to put the little tiny bow on it. So it's been <laughs> awesome watching you develop into this podcast star you are, Chelsea. Great work. It has been a lot of fun the past few months on this venture. Well, you're making me blush. You can't see me, <laughs> but, um, you know, I at first was sort of upset that the number didn't work out so that we ended at 25 because like 25 it's a quarter of 100 it just feels like the right number but then what I like about 26 is that 26 is half a year we have 52 weeks in a year so it's half a year and you're right we started this in June 
So it really just kind of goes to show that, you know, we did this for a whole half of a year. Like, And where did the time go? Because I can't believe it's been that long. Yeah, it really has flown by. And, you know, is doing this each week, it's given us something that we've been able to kind of put our, you know, routine attention to, knowing that we've got it coming, knowing that we've got, you know, things to plan and execute on. And, you know, I'm excited for what 2021 holds as you and I, have, we've, we've, we've learned a lot. We've done a lot, but we've, we've learned a lot. I know from our listeners, we sent out a, a survey via email. If you want to take it, republican.org forward slash podcast, where you will be entered uh, to win a $50 Amazon gift card. So uh, go ahead and fill it out. It's, it takes it doesn't take any time at all. Uh, that listener survey we have online, republican.org forward slash podcast. Take the survey. You're automatically entered to win a $50 gift card. And really all it's asking is, you know, some things about the podcast you like. Um, uh, I know with what we've got so far, we're ready to to dive in and and to set sail into 2021, doing it again with some new episodes in early January. And it's definitely useful, right? Like we're not just, we didn't just send a survey (laughs) because we thought, oh, we are at this benchmark where we should send a survey. We look at every answer and we say, wow, that's a great idea. Or "Hmm, I hadn't thought of that. And we will definitely use the feedback as we prepare our programming for season two, starting on January 12th. And, you know, I have to say as much as I'm going to miss this baby the next three weeks, I'm also ready for a little break. I don't know about you, but, um, we'll, we'll have that little bit to recharge and we'll start to get our programming, um, solidified for season two but i'm i am excited for the holidays and to get that little break yes i will miss you over the next couple weeks and be thinking about you over christmas and the holidays and that'll make make it more exciting you know for when we come back and you know get ready to rendezvous to i guess really what a lot of the excitement will probably be you know for some or maybe some not of our listeners uh, of a new president getting ready to uh take the oath of office and um you know take uh take the white house um, you know, as you mentioned, the listener survey real quick. Yes. As you, as you mentioned, we always we always welcome the feedback. Uh, we welcome the feedback on uh, the Apple podcast review, which you certainly can do. Submit a review. It doesn't take any kind of time. Uh, four or five stars will take three, two, one. It really doesn't matter. Just we would love for you to write a review. Uh, give us a rating. It helps others find us. We got one from Casey VFC. Thanks for growing the voice of climate conservatives. Well done. So thank you, Casey, for writing that one over the weekend. But it's real easy to do to give us feedback there. But as you mentioned, the the listener survey, yes, we take that very seriously. All the comments are read. We want to know what we're doing well, maybe not well, uh, some formatting issues, any kind of feedback that you've got, we want to hear it. So please, republican.org forward slash podcast. It will be up for just a short time longer, uh, just before Christmas. And like you mentioned, Chels, too, just real quick, I, I don't want to uh, belabor the point, but... You know, as this is the end of 2020 for us in season, technically season one, we got 26 episodes, 25 before this one that you can go back and listen to. If this is your first or second one, you're a newbie here, go back and listen to some of the interviews we've had. Um, they really are in a lot of ways timeless um, with some Do of the guests we've had. Do you have a favorite, had. Bryce? Like, which one would you say is your favorite? Oh, man. That's, we've had so many great guests. Um, I'd hate to single out a favorite I probably would just say hmm, there are several that stand out. I really enjoyed John Curtis um, in that episode just because he was so refreshing, so authentic, just so awesome in general. I, I know I'm going to leave somebody out that I'm not mentioning. I'd probably say if there was a, a personal favorite, if I had to pick one, it'd probably be your first one. And that was the one that we launched and started because we've come a long way since then. But you got to start somewhere. And that one started with the first one. So probably for sentimental reasons, that very first episode we did back in, what was that, mid-late June? Well, uh, the episode you just mentioned with Mr. Curtis, he was such an easy person to talk to and interview. I really didn't have to do any of the work. He had so much to say and was very super conversational and I think that came across in um, as a listener, too, that you could tell. I really enjoyed that conversation with him. This episode, which you just listened to, our 26th episode with Commissioner Chatterjee, he was just such a great guest and so full of knowledge. But in a way, I have to admit, Price, I, I've always been a little bit scared of FERC because 
it was not in my jurisdiction when I worked on the Hill. It was not in the EPW jurisdiction. It's the Energy Committee's um, mm-hmm. bailiwick. And so I, you know, kind of had a basic understanding of what they did. But the way that Neil talks about it is in a way that not too technical, but it's not condescending. So you know how when somebody does something really technical and they try to to explain it to you and they it feels like they're talking down to you? And he didn't do that at all. He was able to explain what the agency does in ways that I think any listener would be able to understand. I understand better. And so I felt like I learned a lot. And as a host, anytime you, I, I mean, as a host, with my vast experience of hosting podcasts, um, anytime you learn something, it feels a little extra special. So I hope our listeners also learned from Commissioner Chatterjee and from all of our guests. I think everybody brought something special. And I now feel the challenge, the immense challenge of bringing programming that is just as intriguing and exciting to folks in the next year. You've secured a lot of great people that we've had and you know kudos to you for a lot of the hard work in lining these things up because sometimes you got to pivot uh not talking about basketball and the practice I got to coach here in just a little bit but you got to pivot <laughs> when you know you're you're throwing a, a bounce pass it doesn't quite get there and you got to you got to retool some things and so yep. we've had to do it along yep. the way but you know, some of the guests, uh, you know, I, I really, I, you know, many stand out, you know, Gary Clary, who, you know, I, I know personally uh, here, State House Representative in South Carolina. Dear, dear person. Do, Just do, so nice. 100%. So Dot, Ed Maybach, who we had on, you know, when you heard from a climate scientist and somebody that does, you know, polling and um, honestly, uh, one of the ones that stood out too is, I mean, there many, all of them stood out for different reasons, but Senator Whitehouse in that last episode, I really enjoyed hearing him uh, be pretty frank about, you know, the business side of things. And we've had a lot of great ones and I don't want to, you know, not mention anybody because, you know, the time that it takes people to some more than others to, you know, carve out time on their schedule to do it. It's appreciated by, by you, me, our entire Republican team, but also everybody that has downloaded and subscribed and, and listened to the podcast, which you can do on iTunes and Spotify, Stitcher, and you can certainly listen at uh, republican.org forward slash podcast. Please listen, subscribe, go back and listen to old episodes. But yeah, it's, it's just so hard to to single out because they go through almost all 26 episodes and pick out something great that one of our listeners said yeah. in each one. And, you know, some of the ones also, too, maybe don't mention a, a name right now, but, you know, some of the relationships it's fostered with us at Republican and getting to know them better and maybe doing some work with them or event planning for hopefully when we get out of this thing. So for sure. And and I have to say, I feel um, just so lucky that everyone we have reached out to agreed to do the podcast. I mean, sometimes we had to reschedule people at the last minute as is normal in the environment that we work in, um, especially when you're dealing with high level people. And and I feel like that's a real testament to Bob and the relationships that he's carved and the reputation that he has led us with um, RepublicEN.org kind of trickling down to us. And of course, we, you know, you and I have our own networks and contacts and reputations as well. But, you know, Bob really steers the ship and he sets a tone. And I felt like that was really, you know, the the eagerness. It wasn't just like people were agreeing to come on the show because they felt like they owed us or to check a box or because they thought we might make them famous or whatever. Everyone we asked was enthusiastic and sincere. And I I mean, I'm going to cry because it was Mm -hmm. just. Really, I'm having a moment where I'm feeling a little overwhelmed by the reactions. And I, you know, and again, we wouldn't have survived to 26 episodes if people weren't listening. And you're all, you're listening. So over this break, as Price has said, catch up on those episodes you might have missed. I don't think they date. I think that, you know, except for maybe the election one where we didn't really even know the outcome of the election. You know, we I think that they would all um, hold up, you know, pass the test of time. And you may learn something that you didn't know before or share with a friend, you know, to tell a friend or a family member about the podcast, too. I know that I'm trying to get my dad to listen. He's not really a podcast <laughs> guy. And my kids don't listen either, which I know Alex Flint said his kids wouldn't listen. <laughs> but, um, uh, but, you know, somewhere in between, there's got to be a family member or a friend who, um, you know, will, will these messages, these interviews will resonate with them. And 
And, you know, even if they aren't, if they don't consider themselves part of the eco right, they might know somebody who is eco right. And that's what I like about our podcast is I don't feel like we are excluding anyone. We take a, you know, our guests come from a certain perspective, mostly, obviously, Senator Whitehouse comes from a slightly different perspective. But in that spirit, if you know, you know, if you don't come from the same angle that we do, you might know somebody who does. And so hopefully by hearing our words and our guests, that helps you know how to have those conversations with your friends and maybe how to, um, and I'm going to invoke the words of a previous guests, a previous guest, maybe it will help you with your outreach to the eco-hesitant. Yeah, I hope that, you know, hopefully politics may not come up at your your Christmas uh, gathering, your New Year's gathering. Hopefully everything will be merry and and bright, and politics is not a topic that does come up. But if it does, and if climate change is part of that topic, you know, and you encounter somebody, eco-right, if you're a member of our community, uh, if you're a listener who is all in with us, you know, it's, this is a place where if you, if you're talking with a friend, family member, and you're talking with a skeptic, you know, maybe suggest a, one of your favorite episodes. Maybe there was a special episode that you thought might resonate with them uh, and suggest it, send them a link, you know, tell, um, tell a family member, tell a friend over the holiday. There are different ways you can utilize a podcast for enjoyment. It might be educational purposes. Uh, um, yeah, spread the word, uh, spread the word by word of mouth is one of the, is like any kind of word of mouth marketing. Um, that's a way we grow and get bigger and better and grow into 2021. Chelsea, before we do go into 2021 and, uh, we save our, you know, have our next batch of new members shout out. I want to do the last one of 2020, uh, here, Peter C in North Carolina, Daniel R in Idaho, Kimberly N in New Jersey, Matt W in Oregon, Sarah L in Wisconsin, you want to join us, please. All it takes is a probably about 60 seconds to do. You go to uh, republican.org forward slash join. It is that quick. It is that easy. Well, I'm wishing all of our listeners as well as you, Price. I know we'll have a few conversations before the holidays actually come, but, um, you know, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, whatever you're your um, spirit, your your holiday is that you'll be celebrating. I know that times feel dark, but I have to say earlier, I was listening to the account of the first American to receive the vaccine and I started crying. I was in the car and I started crying because it just feels like there's hope. And so with all of that, we are wishing you listeners the happiest holiday season and let it be a season. Let's all take a break. We need it if you can. Get that rest. Eat those cookies without guilt. <laughs> Spike the eggnog. Whatever it is for you, just take your time. Take some rest and let's recharge. And we'll be back at it in 2021. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy holidays. And happy New Year. Safe travels to anybody and everybody out there. If you happen to be hitting the road or going somewhere, just please be careful. And and be smart about this thing. We are still not out of the woods yet. Just do the right thing. And Chelsea, until 2021, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to you and your family. We'll do it again here in a couple weeks uh, with Season 2. Yes, I can't wait.